in Mark chapter 9, and I want to tell you about this, this chapter just a little bit. Um, it's, I call it the argument chapter. That's not what theologians call it, but it's two times in this chapter, one right after another, we find out that the disciples are arguing. One time they're arguing with the theological people, the teachers of the law. Another time they're arguing with each other. And this is, we talked last week about the watershed point in Mark where things kind of turn and he's, he's serious now. Not that he wasn't serious before, but he's coming to the end of his life and he's only got a few more weeks or months to convince or to educate or to train and lead his disciples to take the reins after his resurrection and ascension. And so that's what he, he starts to, he starts to use words that sound kind of impatient. He, he starts like, oh, are you kidding me? Or uh, that's kind of what we would say, but how long do I have to be with you? He's just, something miraculous has just taken place. We're not going to do this part, but the transfiguration. And if you don't know what that is, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. And uh, a cloud kind of came down. And there's this significant spiritual experience to be very understated about it. Elijah and Abraham show up. God, the Father, speaks from heaven. And he lets three of his disciples witness this. And the Father speaks and said, this is my son. I love him. Listen to him. And Peter gets so excited because he's Peter, you know. And it's like, well, let's, let's build little, little altars or let's build little houses for, to remember this moment. One for, and, and, and Jesus kind of explains. He says, well, hey, just, it's, it's okay. And he says that, yes, Elijah has come. And it kind of the, the, the person that came to be like Elijah was John the baptizer. They come down the mountain. And the other disciples are in this big crowd. And, and Jesus finds them arguing. Now, just for a moment, it, those of us who are parents, those of us who aren't parents, you probably experienced this somewhat, but have you ever had that time? Like maybe you went to a worship service with your family, or maybe you had a family reunion, or maybe there was even a funeral, and there was just the great stories were told, and, and you just feel connected to all your family. Maybe it's a, a Christmas Eve, 11 o'clock service, and you're here, and you leave here either encouraged or a little bit convicted, but there's some sense of, yes, God entered the world. And you pull into your garage and you open up the doors. And by the time they get from the garage up the two steps into the house, the kids are bickering about who gets to open their presents first tomorrow morning. You ever have that kind of, you're just like, are you, are you kidding me? After that, this, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Even the other three disciples that were with him. Because here's where the story starts. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they had just come down from the transfiguration. They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed and wonder, or in, in wonder and ran to greet him. And Jesus has to say, what are you, what are you arguing about? I mean, I, 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 he's fully divine, so he probably knows. He's fully human, so he's got to be frustrated. You know, it's just kind of like, are you, what? Or Why? What, really? Really? After, I just wanted to come down and tell you what just happened, and you're sitting here bickering amongst each other? What are you arguing about? And a man from the crowd, not the disciples, not the teacher of the law, a man from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you, watch the, watch the pronouns here, teacher, I brought you, my son, who is possessed by a spirit and it, who is, that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. 
I asked your disciples to drive him out, to drive out the, the spirit, but they couldn't. So that's pretty bold, don't you think? That a guy who, who's got this son who's in a perpetual state of being seized by an evil spirit. That he brings, he brings the child, Jesus isn't around, he's up with the transfiguration. But his disciples, who Jesus has sent out in the past, given them the authority to drive out demons, to heal the sick, and to preach the gospel. And they've been have wild success. But here they are now. This man comes up. Jesus said, what are you arguing about? And the man jumps in and he goes, I brought my kid to you. You weren't here. The disciples, though, they said they'd take care. Couldn't do it. It's pretty audacious. So let's, there's several characters here. There's the teacher of the law. There's the disciples, the ones that were with Jesus and the ones that were arguing that failed to cast out the spirit. There's this man, the father of the boy. And then there's the boy. And it, other than maybe, maybe not the teachers of the law, but Jesus gives everyone what they need, but not necessarily in the way that you would expect. So I'm going to ask you the question as we get to each character. Do you ever have that attitude toward God? Like, why did this happen? I asked you, why didn't you fix it? I prayed to you, why didn't you answer? I mean, sometimes he answers, it's just not the way we want. Right? So we get upset with God that he didn't give us what, he, what, what we wanted. We have this fantasy of how God's supposed to work. And when he doesn't work that way, we get angry with him. And we kind of accuse him. We point our finger at him. And Jesus, though he knows this, he gets this, he understands this. But if you remember back a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the world that we live in. The world that Jesus entered is upside down, bent, and broken. And no matter how hard we try... As long as we have the upside down, bent, broken lenses, we can't see the world the way God intended. We can't see his bigger picture. We can't expect God's greater reward in the future. We're caught up in our own stuff. There's psychologists, uh, perception psychologists actually have developed lenses that you put them on, they're goggles, you put them on, and it quite literally flips the world upside down. And they found out that people, after a couple of days, usually it takes them a couple of days, you can actually see this on uh, Brain Games. Have you ever seen that? Ever heard of that show? There, there's, look up the one about the guy. Two guys come in, they put on the, one guy has the goggles on, the other guy comes in, they put them on, they ask him to paint. Paint by numbers, but, you know, color into this little number thing. One guy, he's all over the place because his perception is all flipped upside down. He, he does, his hand doesn't move the right way and up is down and down is up. But the guy that's been wearing them for two days, he does a great job on the painting. And he finishes in about a quarter of the time as the other guy. So if you're looking at the world through upside down, bent, and broken lenses, after a while, you'll begin to function as if that's normal. His disciples still don't get it. They still don't understand. They still have this idea that Jesus is going to be a kind of Messiah that he's told them clearly he will not be. And so when they're interacting with this boy and they can't get it done... The father comes up, and I think boldly, with, he's got the right to do it. He comes up to Jesus and goes, I brought my kid to you, and your disciples can't take care of it. And Jesus, his response is, oh, unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring me the boy. Now, I don't think he's saying, have I got to be here even longer? Like, it's just, it's a colloquial way of saying, look, I'm running out of time here. You, got, you, have to, you have to listen. You have to have ears to hear and eyes to see. You misunderstand, but you don't even understand that you misunderstand. So they brought him. So they brought him. 
And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And you got, you, most of you are familiar with this story, but let me, let me personalize it for a second. My brother Fred, he's two and a half years older than I am, and he's epileptic, still. No surgery will fix it. He's been on medications since, I, since my whole, the memory of my entire life. And when I was older, um, high schoolish, 14, 15 years old, he's a couple years older, and every now and then we'd take the bus down to Woodland Mall. And Fred, he, 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 he was then shaped more like I am now. Then, though, I was thin enough that I could drink a tomato juice and I'd look like a thermometer. One stripe on my PJs. I was a tiny little kid. No, it's hard to believe the potato-shaped man now. But when I was walking with him, he would get this, if, he, if a seizure was coming, he would get this glazed look on his eye, across his eyes. If you have someone that you know that has seizures, you've probably recognized that look. And I remember one day in Woodland Mall, we're kind of in the, the little area where you could have some couches and sit down near, the, near what used to be, we didn't have food courts, but it was a place you could go get yogurt. And, and I see this, this look on his face, and he starts to go. He's I got about 30 seconds. And sometimes they were pet mall seizures. Sometimes they were grand mall seizures. And I don't know. And I'm just there with my brother. And he starts, to, he starts to glaze over, and he starts to teeter, and then he goes down. And I can tell you as a 15-year-old kid, my biggest concern wasn't how do I keep him from hitting his head or swallowing his tongue. The biggest concern I had is everyone's going to see me with my brother who's failing. And that's the age when you have a pimple on your nose and you think that everybody at school sees your pimple. What you don't realize is that everyone else is worried that someone else might see theirs. So my brother's falling over. I'm trying to help him to the ground. And then the desperation of this father kicks in. I don't know where the EMTs are. I don't know where the mall cop is. I don't know. All I know is a bunch of people are standing around us watching my brother stiffen up, glazed over eyes, and I'm a 15-year-old boy trying to help him. If I could have cried out to anyone for help that I knew could help, I would have done anything. So here's this father who's just, oh, and that's my brother. I can't imagine what it would be like to have a son or a daughter who's, who's suffering like this. And I'm not trying to equate this demon-possessed child with epilepsy. I don't believe that all, all instances of convulsions are necessarily described or, or, or can be explained away by modern medical sensibilities. I believe Jesus says that this is an evil spirit. I believe that's an evil spirit. But the desperation of a father saying, I brought my kid to you. What? Come on. And Jesus says, bring him to me. He's been like this since childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. Help us. And Jesus says, if you can, that's what you're asking the God of the universe. That's what you're asking the Messiah. You're, you're asking me, if I, doesn't that sound a lot like the leper in Mark 1 who walks up to Jesus, falls at his feet, and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean, risking his life in complete, de- uh, complete desperation that, that that leper, we talked about as the first sermon we preached in this, path, in, this, in this series. He comes up, the right thing for a Jewish person to do when a leper comes in contact with you is to hit him with rocks until he's dead. This man risks his life. He falls on his knees, and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus touches him. He loves him just like he is, but he's not going to leave him that way. And he says, I'm willing. Be clean. This man, same kind of idea. If you, if you can do anything, help. 
And Jesus goes, if, 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 you, if you can, everything is possible for those who believe. And this confession is just amazing. Immediately the father exclaimed, exclamation point at the end of this, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I get it, but I don't get it. I see you, but I don't really see you. I know, but I don't really know. All I want is for my kid to get better. I'm here, aren't I? Help me. And if I don't know what I got to do, tell me what I got to do. That's what the disciples, I think that Jesus has been asking them all along to say, would you just tell me, would you just confess, would you just admit that you get it, but you don't get it, that you believe that you don't believe, you understand, but you don't understand, that you have eyes to see, but you don't see clearly, you have ears to hear, but you really don't hear what I'm saying? How often do you find yourself in a spot like this where you go, God, I thought I did this, 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 I strived, I tried, I prayed, nothing. You tell me that if I have faith as small as a mustard seed, I can say to that mountain, stand up, run into the ocean, and it'll stand up and run into the ocean. I got some, don't I? You ever have that desperation, that sense that you go, God, what's going on? Here's the thing, though, folks. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes we behave like we're atheists. We do and strive and try, and when we blow it, we ask God to rescue us. And I want to tell you, that is not God's way. That's not true of this man. He's just desperate. And he can't help his son. And medicine won't help his son. And his disciples can't help this man's son. And so Jesus saw that the crowd was running to, to, to the scene. He rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. I command you, come out of him. Never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and it came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? So I got to give the disciples credit here. At least they're asking, Lord, what, what, what am I missing? What did I get wrong? But let's just, just up a couple of verses. Jesus took him by the hand, he lifted him up. He looked dead. Now, we've seen this time and time again throughout the Gospels. We've seen the dead son, the widow's son who's dead at Nain. Jesus interrupts the funeral, and he says to a dead man, get up. We see the, the invalid in John 5, who's at the, at the, the, the pool at Beth, Bethesda, and he, he, he say, you know, he, Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he doesn't say yes. He tells him why he's not well. And then Jesus says to him, get up. To the little girl who's dead, he says, Talitha kum, arise, little one. Time and time, a paralytic who's lowered down is because of their faith. Jesus says, young man, your sins are forgiven. And, and then that, oh, who can forgive sins but God alone? And, and, and Jesus says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, young man, get up. Now, he didn't utter those words right here, but that's what he's saying to this demon-possessed, this absolutely tormented child who this demon throws him on the ground one more time. And, and he foams at the mouth and he leaves him as if, as if he's a corpse. And Jesus just goes, come on, get up. See, I think often we think of ourselves when we see these stories as the disciples. Failure, God's kind of disappointed. We don't get it. Maybe at times we're like the father. It's like, I, I thought I did everything right. I, I, I believe, but just help me out. Just help. 
But many of us are more like the son in this story who can't do anything to help himself. And he's left for dead. And Jesus treats him with tenderness and compassion. And he says, get up. Get up. So I'm going to ask the question before Jesus teaches the disciples what they need to learn. Which one of these characters do you most identify with? I mean, we should, I guess, we should identify with Jesus. But we're not God. We have his authority. We have his spirit living on us. We can do the things that he has done. You like the disciples? Because we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Are you like the father who thinks that, that I'm going to do the right things and then get what I want? Or are you the kid who can't save himself? But Jesus sets him free. Because if you don't identify with one of them, it could be that you're trying to do this on your own accord. The disciples say, why, 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 why couldn't we do it? We did it a couple weeks ago. You know, we were out. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know for sure, but the argument that they were having when they came down, I'm pretty sure that, and I've, I've, I've been in groups like this. I've heard people, what I call preach praying, when you're in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a gathering of people praying and one person just eloquent, beautiful, wonderful. And the next person has to one-up them. And they got to let everyone know what they're supposed to think, but they do it in the form of a prayer. So really what they're doing is trying to instruct while praying to God. And you just go, I think the disciples had kind of that attitude that I can just, I, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I could see, I could see him like Andrew going, hey, hey, this boy, dad, hey, shh. And the dad brings a kid, shh, 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 I got this. Come out, you evil spirit. Evil spirit goes, ha, Philip goes, hey, let me, let me give it a shot. I got, I got, I've got some experience here. I say to you, evil spirit, come out. Nothing. And then, then the teachers of the law are like, well, see? See? You don't have, whose name do you think? Come. So there's accusation. And the disciples are going, yeah, but it's your unbelief. We've seen that time and again. When people don't believe enough, then it can't happen. So they're defending themselves. They're one-upping themselves. They're making sure that they're more holy than the people that are accusing them. And the accusers are one-upping them and making sure that they know that they're more holy than the ones who can't get the job done. And they say to Jesus, why, why, why couldn't we get it done? Jesus' response, this kind could come out only by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant. They were afraid to ask him about it. And then two verses later, they're in another argument. Who's going to be sitting closer to Jesus when he comes into it? Who's going to be the greatest in his kingdom? Still don't understand. So what did they miss? You can't do what the Lord calls you to do unless you do it in the Lord. Last week I gave you those words that will stand the test of time. You can't follow Jesus unless you actually follow Jesus. You can't obey Jesus unless you actually do follow 
and obey his commands. You can't be in relationship with Jesus and not actually be in relationship with him. The disciples, what they didn't do, they started thinking that I have this power, that it's mine, that it's of my own accord, that God gave it to me, and if I say the right words and do it the right way, these things have to obey me. No, they don't. They have to obey Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and through the relationship with Jesus that anything like that happens. And so I'm asking you, are you functionally atheistic? Do you believe but not really? Do you think God's there to make sure that things work out for me? Do you go and strive and try and then when it messes up, you blame God. God, why didn't you get this done? I did everything right. You didn't do everything right if you, if you weren't in a perpetual and ongoing intimate relationship with your Savior. If you're not talking to him and walking with him. Remember, we live in an upside down bent reality. We don't see what we're supposed to see, but Jesus came not just to make things go better for his disciples or for us. He didn't come as a revolutionary who's gonna topple Rome and set himself on the throne of David in the fleshly realm and, and so that all the other nations have to bend their will to Israel and to their God instead of the other way around. That's not what he came to do. He came to suffer and to die, to set humanity free and to reset creation, to flip it right side up, to straighten it out and to heal the brokenness. He wants us to be in a walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with him, just like Adam, just like Eve. And sometimes we get so caught up like the disciples in, I got this, I got this, I got this. Or we're desperate like the father, like, I get, I, I get, help. That's a better place to be than the disciples at that point. And maybe you're that son who just needs to be saved. Who's the other characters? The accusers. The people that are supposed to manage the covenant of God with his people. Jesus is done talking to them the way he used to. He doesn't even address them here. He doesn't correct them because they've hardened their hearts so much that they're not going to listen to anything he says. So are you a teacher of the law, religious and heart of heart? Are you a disciple who's thinking, God, I got this. You take care of everybody else where you are. I'll take care of your stuff here. Are you a desperate person who just says, I get it, but I don't get it. Help me get it, get it. Or are you just dead? And you need Jesus to reach down and pick you up and say, get up. And walk with me. You believe. But ask God to help you overcome your unbelief. I believe but oh, do I need help overcoming my unbelief. I trust, I want, I try. And I'm often disappointed. One last thing. I don't believe that you can disappoint God. If he knows everything and he sees the future like he sees the present, disappointment is something didn't work out the way you expected or someone didn't behave the way you wanted them to. He knows how you're going to behave. He knows how you're going to be. And he knows where you're going to fail. Jesus loves you so much that he expects more failure out of you than you do. So instead of condemning yourself after a message like this, and you're like, yeah, I'm more like this. Don't. 
Just say from this point forward, Lord, I walk with you. I want you to do in me, for me, and through me what you want. Not my will, Lord, but yours. Daily, not my will, Lord, but yours. Daily, not my will, Lord, but yours. What do you have for me, your servant? He knows better than you do. And I pray to God that you'll have the courage to say, yes, Lord. And if you need to say, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief, awesome. And if you're just dead, ask him to bring you back to life. Because that's what he does. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this father and this story. It's hard to thank you for the young man who was desperately controlled by something beyond himself. But I thank you for your work in him. And Lord, I thank you for the disciples because they give us hope that we cannot get it and then later get it. But Lord, I pray that none of us are like the teachers of the law with rules, regulations, and religiosity and no faith. Lord, I thank you for Jesus that he he gave everyone in that story what they needed except those who said they didn't need anything. Help me, us, be people that say your will, not mine. Help us overcome our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. Bring it up. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. That's a look on God's face. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and end the peace of Christ.